Do you remember that? Crystal Maze. Crystal Maze, yeah. Of course I do. Richard O'Brien. Yeah. Head like a cue ball. The Germans and they're in trouble. Alcantara couldn't do it. Lidica probably could. And he had to make one of the rest. It's Gary Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the final countdown, a podcast looking back at great finals within the game of football. I am Lewis here with my co-host Adam for episode fifty of the final countdown. Oh yeah! What a wonderful, wonderful thing that we've managed to make it this far with people actually still listening. So fair uh, play to you all. all of our listeners. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll have a special coming out in a couple of weeks, but uh, yeah, thank you for all those that have joined us. Uh, you're most welcome. Please feel free to give us a, a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen. Uh, but enough. Uh, plugging our podcast you're already here so adam <laughs> take it away well for our 50th lou we've absolutely picked one here the <laughs> 1970 it's not boring at all it's just absolutely mental sure so the 1978 world cup uh in argentina i should probably say this is called the final countdown and the design is to kind of cover the match this is the least we will cover a match because there is so much else going on that the match is almost immaterial sure well, in that, uh, to be fair, some of those are the best podcasts that we have, yeah. though, where there's so much going on around it that most people can look at the stats or look at the team sheet and go, okay, yeah, the final probably played out like this, but it's all this extra stuff that's the interesting yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, all this extra stuff absolutely frames the final, sure, without a doubt, and, and this extra stuff absolutely impacts and affects everything to do with the final, but the match itself is relegated Probably of a footnote. Yeah, but probably correctly. Yeah, sure. In that sense. Surrounded by historic history. Yes, this World Cup is not remembered for the football. Sure. Uh, unless you're Scottish, they did rather well. So the Scotland of the 70s aren't actually right. yeah, laughing yeah. stock yeah. that they are nowadays, which, as a proud Englishman, doesn't give me that much joy, because I'd like seeing Scotland be terrible. That's quite yeah. enjoyable. Archie so, Gemmell. Sorry to all of our Scotchlands. Gordon Strachan, or is he too... No, too young. Kenny Dalglish. Kenny Dalglish, of course. Joe Jordan. Joe Jordan, he was a hard bastard. He was, wasn't he? Yeah. I remember him being assistant manager at Portsmouth and he gets in a scrap and Joe Jordan squares up to Gino Catuzzo. It's brilliant. Really good. Go look it up. For, I would for not want to square up to Catuzzo. No. He's a bit Unless you're Joe Jordan, apparently. Yeah, well. Anyway, enough about Joe Jordan. Didn't expect <laughs> us to go that way. <laughs> of all the things, ask oh, the World Cup. We've got the greats to talk about. We, yeah. We're not talking about Joe Jordan. Anyway, so the 1978 World Cup was held in Argentina. Which doesn't sound particularly like big news or anything. No, sure. Major footballing nation of South America. It was in which, Europe last time, so it makes yeah. sense in South America this Absolutely. time. Absolutely. So interestingly, uh, and I'm probably going to say that a lot in this podcast, Argentina was chosen as the host nation by FIFA on the 6th of July, 1966. Very early. Yeah, incredibly unusual, early. Yeah. Now that's important, kind of, in the sense that what happened with Argentina and everything happened after they'd been given the World Cup. So they weren't, it wasn't like you could argue with Qatar and Russia where we had time to move it. All the mess was going on 
and they got given it. Yeah. Argentina was largely a pretty good choice yeah, in sure. the mid 60s. So we'll get there. Anyway, 16 teams hosted in five cities. The last time 16 teams uh, contested course, the World yeah. Cup. Uh, the 82 World Cup was 24. I thought it was interesting as well that only five cities. It seems like nowadays there's way more. Like I guess host. it's harder to get around back then. And Argentina is an enormous country. Yeah, so quite I wonder possibly, if they yeah. have to keep them slightly closer together. Six stadiums in five cities, two stadiums in Buenos Aires, uh, and then the final in Buenos Aires as well at the River Plate Stadium. So Argentina were ready. Um, this win, They win the World Cup. I think that's important to say from the start. Many people were like, that was always going to happen anyway for other reasons. But this win was their first World Cup title, um, mm-hmm. which is important to note because Argentina, as we grew up, were a major football nation. Obviously won it again in 86, got to the final in 1990. Um, not so much in recent years, despite having one of the best players in the world. The best player in the world. Uh, well, he didn't do it at the World Cup, has he? Well, he did get him to a final single-handedly. <laughs> Uh, that's part three of my podcast <laughs> solo series Lionel Messi <laughs> the final countdown the dark room <laughs> Cruyff Boniak <laughs> Messi Boniak <laughs> has he got in there well you'll find out when you listen to part two uh, I'm not going to listen to that mate <laughs> so uh, sorry the first World Cup win for Argentina who became the fifth team after Uruguay Italy England and West Germany to be both hosts and win it Yes, so, as we've spoken about. As we've spoken yeah. about. So, yeah, that was definitely. Uh, uh, I think if you're a major footballing nation and host, you're in with a good shot. Yeah, sure. I think what maybe other countries have mistaken. You mean like Switzerland? <laughs> yeah. You <laughs> were never really going to Or even South Africa, Qatar, like all yeah, the. Sure. Russia, like all these countries that hosted thinking that would somehow give them like it, it gives them the boost that they got uh so this was they were the third europe uh, third south american team to win a world cup uh uruguay brazil and argentina um and those three the only three uh, from south america that have That's right, uh, yeah. won a world cup chile went close but didn't um get it done as hosts iran and tunisia made their first appearance in the tournament and then we mentioned this last week about the major teams that didn't make it in yeah now the list in 74 was quite huge in frankly yeah so it's not as many but the two of them in particular um were quite big so england didn't make it again yeah um despite being quite powerful in europe club wise yeah sure uh liverpool were dominating although you could argue a lot of liverpool's team weren't english weren't english no. um and then also czechoslovakia who were european champions yeah by this point beating germany uh, west germany to become european champions they didn't make the world cup which is i mean i suppose you could argue italy have just done that yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, Italy is strange, very it strange. It is, yeah. But it's the curse of the the people that win the tournament. Yeah, it's it is a genuine thing. So, uh, yeah, other than England, Czechoslovakia, also, and this was for the second World Cup in succession. England, Belgium, Czechoslovakia, and the Soviet Union failed to qualify for the second time in a row. Which nowadays is really rare to have it consecutively. Yes, it is. It's, yeah, it's yeah. so unusual. Most of the time, there'll be a shock of somebody not making it, but they almost always are in the next time round. Yeah. And it and it is a shock in particular, like say England Czechoslovakia, because they weren't they weren't minnows at no, all. Yeah. It was very strange. Maybe seventy four with England coming off the, you know, after the Alf Ramsey days and that yeah. inevitable kind of like not planning ahead or thinking about what comes after the glory days. But yeah, the players that were available in seventy four because I've seen them before yeah. where people are like this is the team we would have taken in seventy four. This team we would have taken seventy eight. And the seventy four one is a little bit sparse, but yeah. not worse necessarily than some of the tra- other teams. It was transitional. Yeah. I think seventy four because it had. You know, Alan Ball was still around. It like it had you know fragments of yeah. the team that had beaten everybody, uh, but it was also 
you know, it was it's kind of similar to the England team that came after the golden generation. Yeah, sure. Where it was like, yeah, Harris Vassell is not Michael Owen. Yeah. He's yeah. just not. Front line of Peter Crouch and uh, yeah. Gabby Agbon Lahore is not going to be That's right. frightening defences across <laughs> Europe. I was talking about Gabby Agbon Lahore today. Don't know why. Oh, no, it was you last night. Chubster. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, I got no time for Gabby Agbon Lahore. <laughs> Got, and I, I'm not afraid got three to say mentions it. on your podcast. I'm not afraid to say, you know, as, to a listenership of double figures. I don't mind saying Gabby can shut one. Anyway, so let's get on to the major part of what this frames this World Cup. So the controversy surrounding the 1978 World Cup was that Argentina had undergone a military coup of its democratically elected government only two years before the World Cup, so 1976, uh, which installed a dictatorship known as the National Reorganization Process. Yeah, the NRP, which mm. is easier, easier to get your mouth around. I just thought that was great. The National Reorganization Process. Like, what is that? Yeah, if you don't want to tell people that you're forcing power, you just right. say, we're reorganising. Reorganising. It's, it's like when you tidy your process. room. It's like when you tidy your room. Oh, I'm putting everything <laughs> under the bed, not because it's filthy or dirty. It's, I'm just reorganising. Reorganising, exactly. So, uh... There we go. So that kind of set in motion a load of really like a militant government that were trying to enforce their rule on the fact that no one had elected them or wanted them or chose them. Obviously, people in Argentina rose up against that and 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 fought back, and it became known as and I didn't I learned this today. It became known as the Dirty War, right? Okay, um, because of the way that this militant. You know, junta. I don't even want to call them a government, but yeah. the militant ruling power went about uh, enforcing their rule on people that stood up against them. Uh, and so less than a year before the World Cup, in September 1977, Interior Minister General Arbano Hardeguin stated that 5,618 people had recently disappeared. These became known as the disappeared. disappeared. The infamous Higher School of Mechanics of the Navy. What are these names? Yeah. Like, it's nuts. Uh, held a concentration camp. This is, again, particularly poignant. So, of the disappeared, the infamous Higher School of Mechanics of the Navy held a concentration camp uh, where prisoners of what was known as the Dirty War were held captive. They could reportedly hear the crowds during matches. So one of the things I know is that it's 500 metres. Yes. I saw a documentary Located on only, recently. Yeah, less than a mile away. Yeah, 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 yeah. So absolutely nuts. So you had these contrasting kind of like the world spectacle mm-hmm. of the World Cup and less than a mile away, like these disappeared, as they were being yeah. called, could hear that happening and, so it, and it, largely being ignored by the rest yeah. of the world. And it, And it's truly like tragic this isn't it, it's a full military dictatorship in progress when this world cup goes yeah. there where the disappearances you're talking about um it was still ongoing yeah well their their favored way of getting rid of dissidents or people is that they would take them in helicopters and push them out yeah of the i sea read that yeah, just yeah. just to get rid of the bodies yeah. they weren't dead they would push out you know living yeah. civilians absolutely crazy horrific stuff that was happening like you say literally current day as the world well, they, they think it was happening during the uh the world cup like that's that's the nuts of this this isn't you know the, you know other situations where it's kind of like historical yeah. stuff that people think they should be held account for mm. and that's a totally different discussion yeah. probably a valid one this was happening yeah as matches were being played mind like, blowing you know it? a year before it was 5618 they reckon it was as many as 30,000 people that disappeared oh, yeah. they were in power 5 years so over that whole period of 5 years absolutely crazy astonishing isn't it so um, to bring it slightly towards, at least towards the World Cup anyway, so that's the kind of the, the context of what's happening. The Interestingly, the logo um, for the World Cup was obviously created before 
the military coup. Sure. Uh, so it was based on President Juan Perón's signature gesture, a salute to the crowd with both arms extended above his head. Right, okay. So this is one of the most famous populous, uh, popular images of Peron, and the design was created in 74, two years before the military coup. The military leadership were aware that the World Cup's logo symbolised Peron's gesture, huh. and they tried to change the competition's logo. Is that right? Yeah, tried to change it. Um, at that point, the design was already being broadly commercialised, merchandise had been made, loads of money pumped into it, and a forced modification, and this is a quote, would trigger a sea of lawsuits against the country they could not cope with. Wow. So the military had no option but to give up their attempts and leave it, and that's why the logo is still there, despite the fact that it, he wasn't in power. Yeah, that's amazing. Because of the political turmoil, um, some countries, most notably the Netherlands, publicly considered whether they should even participate in the event. Right. Is that why Cruyff doesn't go? Because Cruyff... Very interesting. So I know he wasn't part of the 78, but he was still playing football. Yes. So, despite all this, all teams did eventually take part, but there was a lot of talk about whether yeah. they should, you know, not dissimilar to um, Qatar with this World Cup um, and all the rest of it. So, however, most notably, Dutch star Johan Cruyff, who won the, the Golden Ball in the previous World Cup in 74, refused to take part in the 78 World Cup, even though he had earlier participated in the qualification for it. Right, okay. So he'd helped his nation get there. Yeah. Very much a part, like he was still a major player for Holland, and then he refused to take part. Typically in Cruyff's style, he didn't explain. Yeah, sure. He just, yeah. I won't, I, you know, he, you know, I think the, the press release was Johan Cruyff is refusing to take part. So this is a man who literally refuses to stop at red lights because he doesn't think they're efficient. He, he has publicly spoken probably more about this than most of his football career. <laughs> he publicly spoke about the fact that red lights are actually an inefficient way of travel and that they should be ignored um, unless there's, you know, pedestrian present. Anyway, I shouldn't know that about him, but I do. But <laughs> it's a guy who doesn't even stop for red lights, so it doesn't surprise me that he's just refusing to tell the press what's going through his brain. So, yeah. carry on. So, allegations, and this is really interesting allegations that Cruyff refused to participate because of political political convictions were yeah. largely believed sure that that's why he wasn't there but they were denied by him years later is that right yeah. I always assumed that he this was the reason so 30 years later he denied it okay uh, he didn't want to talk about it at the time but basically he and his family had been the victims of a kidnapping attempt a few months before the World Cup oh my god yeah wow. several criminals entered his house in Barcelona at night and tied him and his family up at gunpoint Whoa. And that's why he w didn't want to go to the World Cup. He didn't want to leave his family. Oh, my God. I had no idea. I've yeah. never heard that. But he refused to talk about it, refused yeah. to publicise it, but he just refused to play. Oh, I'm horrendous. guessing someone in the Dutch FA knew. Yeah, sure. But it didn't get reported. And so wow. this stuff going on with Argentina, it was like Cruyff was some kind of symbol for standing up to yeah, this, sure. this regime. It was nothing to do with it. <laughs> Amazing. And our yeah. history kind of, well, you just fill in the gaps at the time. Yeah. Really strange. So, uh, more controversy surrounding the host Argentina as all of their games in the first round, and this is where it kind of is like, okay, this has gone further than just, it's a bit corrupt what's going on in the country. Yeah. It's started to filter into the tournament itself, or at least that's the accusation. Sure. So, Argentina, as all of their games in the first round kicked off at night, giving the Argentines, Argentines the advantage of knowing where they stood in the group every time they played. Oh my god! It's just not even subtle, is it? Yeah, and it's really interesting. You know, so if you need a draw, or if you need to win yeah. by three, or whatever. So it's brought up. So obviously, you and I now grow up in the era of the last group games get played At simultaneously. Time, yeah. That's because of this. Interesting. Yeah. Wow, I had no idea. So the issue arose again in Spain, 1982, which then prompted FIFA to recognise the complaints from 78 and 82 and say, right, uh, subsequent World Cups, um, the games will be played simultaneously for the last. Uh, yeah. group, group games 
So, yeah, I thought that was interesting because that affected World Cups in the future. Um, Argentina's controversial and favourable decisions in their matches have caused many to view their eventual win as illegitimate. So this is what I know of this tournament particularly, is that refereeing decisions work. We we mentioned on our podcast last week that yeah. sometimes it's very difficult for a ref to actually influence a game yeah. without being blatantly obvious. But from my very limited understanding, maybe you'll correct me, but is that there were a lot of questionable mistakes uh, uh, decisions by the referee and the game changing mistakes yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's more the thing but it was it, it went further than that in fairness but yeah it's um that was certainly the hungry manager which I'll quote in a second he Barotti he talked about the fact that it was like blatantly obvious <laughs> what the referees were doing so uh, suspicions of match fixing arose even before the tournament began oh interesting um and and the kind of whispers and rumors that are around so the head of head coach of Hungary Barotti said that everything quote everything even the air is in favour of Argentina. He also talked in the same report about the financial imperative to have Argentina win the World Cup. The success of Argentina is financially so important to the tournament, it wouldn't surprise me. Wow. And then he was like, what wouldn't surprise you? And he stopped talking. So it's all absolutely weird. Uh, Amazing article, which I didn't have time to read all of it, but what I did read about was brilliant. So Will Hersey's article, Remembering Argentina, the Dirtiest World Cup of All Time. Um, there's a quote from that. It says, The other teams in Argentina and Hungary's group were the much fancied France and Italy, which is, okay. we obviously know they were both very strong four years yeah. later. Um, establishing the tournament's qu- toughest qualifying section Argentina, Hungary, France, Italy. After the victory against Hungary, one Junta official remarked to uh, Leopoldo Luque, who played for Argentina, This could turn out to be the group of death as far as you're concerned. Oh my God. What is it? I won't go on this tangent because it's just not the platform for it, but people talk about, oh, you keep politics out of football. And yet, what we've learned through this whole final campaign, yeah, po- politics are are intrinsically involved yeah. in this, but it seems, obviously, we've had Mussolini and people like that, where, like, death threats over games of football. Well, the, diff- what it the, means the difficulty to- is, is power and superiority is expressed through sport. Mm. It might not be real. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not actually power. Yeah, sure. But on a world stage, if you are, you know, the... the yeah, the last man standing, mm. the gladiators celebrating at the end. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. There's an element where it's like, right, okay, so it it's perceived that Argentina are strong, strong. because 11 men kicked a ball about yeah, better yeah. than un- another 11 men. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense, but I think that's why yeah. there's enormous power in it, Yeah. I, I guess. Um, not to mention financial. Of course, I think yeah. that's a big thing as well. Anyway, so this kind of half death threat was delivered with a smile. Uh, Luke remembered, uppermost in my mind, he said, was that that earlier that day the brother of a close friend of mine had disappeared. His body was later found by villagers on the banks of the river plate with concrete attached to his legs, like you were talking about. At that time, opponents of the regime were sometimes thrown out of airplanes or helicopters into the sea, and that was a, someone that he knew mm. and when this guy you know one of the junta officials said to him he's like okay this isn't football yeah anymore yeah. it's just something completely different it's not even a veiled threat at that point it's, it's just a threat it's yeah yeah you, you need to do this or you're not your life is not going to be worth living yeah. very very bizarre Dark. surreal um so in their second group game i like to say kind of these stories end but it just carries on their second group game against france argentina were the beneficiaries as you point out of multiple favorable calls at um, referee decisions after France would deny what looked to be a very clear penalty in the first half an anonymous French player said that he heard the referee tell captain of Argentina Daniel Passarella the player who committed the foul don't do that again please Daniel or I might have to actually give it next time oh my god wow in a World Cup game yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's, 
It's on another level. Just so, yeah, just so corrupt, isn't it? But yeah. Daniel Passarella was like, it's worth taking it back to yeah, football. Yeah. Daniel Passarella was a hell of a footballer. Yeah. Really, really gifted. I think he's there later on under Maradona's team as well. 86? Yeah, yeah, he was there. Yeah, I think yeah. he lasts yeah. that long. Um, but yeah, he was a hell I of a leader at the time. I think that's a good point in the sense that you know, we talk about Qatar and Russia in, the, in recent, um, you know, or even now, yeah. happening. Like, football gets caught up in this. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, these... Daniel Pesaro is a footballer. Yeah, he's just yeah, exactly, you know I mean? just doing and what he can. I, I, you know, I, I, there's nothing there to suggest that he knew what was going on. He no. probably thought that that comment was a bit weird too. Do you know what I mean? Or, or he might have known, and there's nothing you can do about yeah, it. So right. Why should it be on the shoulders of a centre back right, playing yeah, yeah, for his country? Yeah, yeah. Why should it be Daniel Passarella's like prerogative to suddenly yeah. try and? Or he was probably terrified. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah, yeah, wondering about because again, it's been spoken about with Iran a lot at Qatar and yeah, their yeah. decision not to sing the national anthem, and it's not just oh we're high profile enough that maybe we'll be safe. It's what about your families at home? Yeah. And like you say, for someone yeah, like yeah. Daniel Passarella to go, well, actually, I've got to do this because whilst I might be okay, yeah. I've got families and friends at home yeah, who, yeah, yeah. who are literally, again, b- being disappeared. Definitely. And there's no, and we'll, we'll talk about in the aftermath very quickly, but there's no doubt the Argentina players in hindsight know that they were used mm. um, by you know right, the, the okay. regime at the time, but didn't necessarily know yeah, sure. at the time. They knew it in hindsight. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll come to that towards the end. So yeah, all kinds of rumours surrounded Argentina throughout the tournament. Um, probably more so than any other. And this is the one there are so many rumours, right. I can't document them all. So just <laughs> okay. look up Argentina versus Peru, okay. 1978. It's just crazy. Like, I mean, it's worth saying, none of them are proven. Yes. But, For any Argentinian lawyers yeah. out there, this is all allegedly. Yeah, but there are a lot of them. And sure. there's a lot. It's not just some nutter on the internet. They're all over the place. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a lot of time to find it. Anyway, Argentina needed to secure a four-goal win to progress through the second group stage Okay, um, to get through against Peru. They beat them 6-0. Now, on the face of it, you kind of think, well, Peru, a little bit of you know, yeah. you know, South African minnow, South African? South American minnow, you know, not much of a team, blah, blah, blah. Not true. Okay. Peru had conceded only three goals in their last 12 games. <laughs> Tight at the back. Right. They had lost 2-1 to Argentina in the Copa America. Have I got that right? Copa yep. America. So it was a bit random. They hadn't, they'd only conceded one goal in the World Cup before this time. It was a bit like, what's going on? And suddenly yeah. they lose 6-0 yeah. um, to Argentina. The game was unbelievably suspicious. So, so Sorry to interrupt mid-flow, but... My guess as well is so this is still true of Argentina kicking off later. They know they knew this was what they had to. Yeah, get. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it carried on throughout the tournament. Yeah. Argentina always knew what right. they needed to do. Um, so just very quickly because I'll, I'll be here all night. From bribes to um, offers to release Peruvian dissidents huh. uh, to national debt being cleared by Argentine banks the night this happened the night before the game. Oh Suddenly, goodness. Peru's debts were cleared by Argentinian banks. Like what? Astounding, isn't it? It's just nuts. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's, I say none of them have been proven. That happened. Yeah. What's not been proven is the connection. The, the link, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Very coincidental. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, uh, you know, you could probably read up hugely into that, but very, very suspicious situation around that. Either way, Argentina won the game. They did what they needed to do and they got through, you know, into uh, the last stage, or ultimately into the final. Mm-hmm. Um, a little snippet of football. Sure, that'd be good. Yeah, why not on a football podcast? Uh, Cesar Minotti, the Argentine manager, controversially left out a 17-year-old superstar 
Is it El Diego? It is El Diego. Uh, who was 17. Playing, he was playing for Argentino Juniors at the time, but taking the country by storm. A lot of people think he should have been in the World Cup. Minotti was like, he's not ready yeah. for the, the, the intensity the pressure. of, a, a of home, a home World Cup. Yeah, home World Cup especially. Which who knows whether it was true, true or not. Interestingly, and, and you know, yeah, just grabs you, the player that took his place, do you know who that was in the squad? Mario Kempes? Mario Kempes. Is it? The player he goes on to have a good tournament. It's he fair did. To say. Top scorer and player of the tournament, known as wasn't going to the World Cup if Maradona did. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's a sliding doors moment. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah. But interestingly, known as El Matador. I know you've Mario been loving I love nickname. I love nicknames of players, especially South American players, because they have the best nicknames. But El, El Matador, Matador was a wrestler in the WWF. That doesn't surprise me. They've had every gimmick under the sun, but El I think that was Matador. before. That was before my time. I think. WWF. To which my dad, when I was a kid, came up with the wrestler name Elbow. <laughs> my my favourite thing about Elbow is when uh, I've heard people being described being sacked from their jobs as someone's given them the old Spanish archer, Elbow. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I really like that. Anyway, sorry, let's get back to, sorry, the, football. Back to the football. So, another bit of football stuff. Ar- uh, Austria caused the biggest shock. Okay. Which is probably the only time I've ever heard that sure, sentence yeah. in a World Cup. The Austrians beat Spain and Sweden in their group, Go on. Uh, while Brazil were held to draws by the same two teams. Uh, the draw between Brazil and Sweden was especially controversial. Oh, you might remember this. Welsh referee Clive Thomas. So I referenced yeah. this uh, whenever it was. Yeah, I can't remember. On one of our previous podcasts where I knew that this Welsh referee got absolute pelters because yeah. it's a corner. Doesn't he blow up yeah. as the corner's taken and then Brazil score from the yeah. corner? But the referee, but, the whistle's gone. Yeah. so it, Really weird. So I think it brought in the instances where the ref doesn't blow up in if there's an attacking yeah, sure. possibility. Yeah. So, yeah, it's weird. Again, at YouTube, Clive Thomas. Yeah. It, it's a it's a random piece of football footage. It's it's like, how has that happened? It, it, Yes. Well, I've looked, I've looked at my well. I've looked at my watch. Yeah. It was time to blow up. He's like, he obviously was just going to blow up as soon as the ball got kicked in. Yeah. But Zico scores. Yeah. And Brazil go mad. So the goal was disallowed, which in any other football since then it would have been allowed. Mm. What was interesting is Brazil went on to go out of the tournament to Austria by goal difference. Oh wow! One goal. One goal. Amazing. Amazing stuff. Only football. I wonder if Brazil. Kind of I wonder if Brazil hold a deep hatred for Wales now. It'd just be one of those random Clive like Thomas in national rivalries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just be like, just oh, it's Clive. a derby. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then Austria, amazingly, in the game known as the Miracle of Cordoba, they went on to beat the defending champions West Germany three two. No way. Yeah. That's which good. marked their end. And a lot of people were like, Germany was strong again. They came back and got to the final in four years' time. Yeah. This was a random kind of like, how did that Speed happen? Speed bump that yeah. wasn't expected. So, um, yeah, so Austria knocked out the defending champions. But ultimately, the two teams that made it all the way through to the final were Argentina, as I've said, somewhat suspiciously, mm-hmm. illegitimately, however you see that, and the Netherlands. There they are. Without Cruyff, but still a very, very good team. Some argue a stronger team. Stronger than 74, but they definitely would have been stronger with Cruyff. Yes, but yeah, it, is, it yeah. is one of those things where, again, not to harp on about too much. I know we're running late on the episode. Of course. But, We've got to fly through the game in a minute. Yeah, true. <laughs> so basically just name the goal scorers and we'll move on. Yeah. But like, that's the joy of total football is you don't need all of your best players on the pitch at the same time. The system is the thing that yeah. brings you the results. That's yeah. what's amazing about it. So you can lose somebody that for any other team, losing a Cruyff would be yeah. unimaginable. Yeah, yeah. But for Holland, the fact they got to this final is, it's both surprising, but when you really think about it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I should say, I mean, 
there's some great moments, picture moments in this World Cup from Holland. Right. Uh, in particular, like Johnny Rep and um, Nieskins. But in particular, if you've never seen Ari Hahn's goals, the two ridiculous... Long range. I mean, they're toe punts, yeah. but they're unbelievable toe punts. Yeah. Just YouTube them. It'll be worth it. You'll be like, what the hell? Well, it reminds me of uh, Gio Van Bronckhorst. He just from 35 yards goes, oh, no one's closing me down. Yeah. And unleashes. It's what we spoke about last week is, for all their finesse, you just need a player that can yeah, tackle an absolute thunder But one the of them, in my memory, is, it must be nearly 40 yards out. It's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, Ari Hahn and the rest of the Dutch team made it to the final. I think what I'll do with this is I will just zip through the final because the interesting thing about the final is what happens before the game. Okay. Which is absolutely right for this World Cup. Right, okay. So with that, let's get into a very quick The Match. Oh, and there it is! The crazy gang have beaten the culture club. Okay, so the ticker tape final, this is known as. Okay. Because, again, if you've ever seen the 1978 World Cup confetti final. Confetti everywhere. Confetti everywhere, yeah. The crowd brought in loads, which right. was amazing when the teams come out, but it just blew onto the pitch. Interesting. So much so that Mario Kempes, for instance, scores um, the his second goal and the first goal. It's At times, you lose the ball. Is that right? Yeah, it's nuts in, in, in the vision of watching it. I'm sure it was fine on the pitch, but... It's interesting, because I feel like I can picture the pitches and the finals from like the World Cups before this, yeah, but yeah. I don't really remember the 78 visually. It's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Maybe because of everything that was around it, yeah, it's, it's not heralded massively. Other than Mario Campos scoring the goals, that's all I know about this final, yeah. literally. Yeah. I don't, you know, other than, I didn't know what happened before it, but other than that, there isn't much more yeah. to the, to this final. So let's just burst through that and then I'll come back to what happened um, before. So Mario Kempes scores the first goal of the match. Uh, really good goal, actually. He takes it, looks like he's knocked it too far ahead, but slides with his left foot and just gets it under Youngblood. Youngblood, still uh, in there. Rushing out with the number eight shirt on, inexplicably. Um, the Netherlands almost uh, equalised straight away um, when Rezenbrek uh, latches onto a headed pass, uh, but the shot was kept out um, by the boot of the Argentina goalkeeper Philol. Um, the Dutch came again, and they're much more dominant in this game. People com- um, in the 74 World Cup kind of said that, in a way, the Cruyff start to the 74 World Cup was as good as it got yeah. uh, for Holland. In yeah. this, they were much more the dominant team um, for the first half. When they went close again, they eventually equalised just before halftime uh, when Van de Kokoff's uh, cross-found substitute Dick Naniga. So we've had Kokoff to Dick. Kokoff to Dick. Okay. Leave that one there for You're our right listeners. With that? Yeah, we, we can move on. Who headed home the equaliser. And if I'm honest, even watching the highlights, not an awful lot then happens okay. in the game. Yeah. This is one of these games where it blows up in extra time, but okay. nothing really happens in the actual game. Right, yeah. Um, the Dutch actually could have won it in the final minutes, which is the you know the, the most significant chance that happens between the Dutch equaliser and the end of the game. Uh, and I think Rensenbrick, kind of looking back on it, thinking, man alive, we should have done better with that. Uh, amazing chance. Phil Old just saves it, and the ball sh- uh, bounces off, hits the post, uh, and trickles to safety. Right. And it's one of those ones, if that was England, I'd be like replaying that yeah, sure. for years. Because yeah. that's the one that could have mm-hmm. three inches, two inches, and they've won the World Cup. Yeah. It's basically an orgasm moment, isn't it? It's nuts. Yeah. It's so weird how that kind of thing just changed, that would have changed history. 
And yeah. goodness knows what would happen yeah. in Argentina if that had happened. But it didn't happen. They went to extra time. Argentina were much the stronger team in, in extra time. Kempes, uh, Annette, the eventual winner or the, the goal that took them in front in the 105th minute after running into the box, he evades two Dutch sliding tackles, desperate sliding tackles. As he does so, Kempes' shot kind of jumps up off his knee. It hits young blood back onto Kempes. He jumps to avoid Youngblood coming out <laughs> and the ball bounces off of Youngblood and hits Kempes twice, first in the knee and then in the foot before bouncing off Youngblood's head. <laughs> <laughs> the most comical of World Cup Wait, final I goals. went through it frame by frame because I was like, what happens there? Utter um, chaos. Oh, Imagine that being the thing, like you think of Jeff Hurst's final goal in this hat trick and it's an absolute like yeah, yeah. thundercracker yeah. of a shot and then you go, oh, that's how you won the World Cup, is it? It's it the least World Cup winning goal ever. Yeah. Um, so I, I missed a bit. So Kemper's shot was saved by Youngblood. He jumps up in the air to avoid Youngblood coming out. The ball bounces off Youngblood, Kempes twice, knee, foot, bounces Youngblood, all before Kempes lands. <laughs> He's in the air. Amazing. Let's do it on difficult mode. Absolutely crazy. Uh, the ball bounces is high in the air and the two Dutch defenders come rushing to clear the ball from the open goal. It's a terrible goal, um, but the crowd go crazy. Um, the goal was officially given to Kempes and this was the goal that won him the golden, golden boot, boot. But it didn't come off him last. It off came the off defender. the Dutch defender last. No way. Kempes' last touch wasn't going goal bound. It came off the Dutch defender. Oh. So it's another one of those... Hang on yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Did he also get the golden boot, yeah. like, without actually deserving it? Well, mm-hmm. I don't know how you could dictate that, but either way, uh, Batoni sealed the game in the second half of extra time. Holland were done by this point. Yeah. Uh, Kempes made a long run to the box and was tackled by a Dutch defender, ricocheting several times <laughs> before landing at the feet of Batoni. It is the two flukiest goal, yeah. uh, match-winning goals that you'll Mario ever Kempes, see. Mario Kempes, the man with magnets in his feet. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, like a well-written TV drama... Holland didn't join the post-match ceremonies. Really? Because of what had happened before the so game. So they, they knew or thought it was a fix or something? Let me rewind. Okay. So before the game, Argentina didn't come out uh, at the same time as Holland. Holland came out, Argentina were delayed by seven, eight minutes. Okay. Didn't come out. Holland were like, what is going on yeah. here? Really kind of like... It whipped the crowd up into a frenzy, even more so than they were. I was about to say, stereotypically, Argentinian fans are like, it's not just, oh, this is a hostile atmosphere. There is a genuine, like, fear yeah. that players have spoken about, about playing in games like River Plate, um, Boca Juniors, like any yeah. any of those big stadiums. So that doesn't surprise me at all. So it whipped them up. The Dutch team were not happy. Dutch staff were not happy. The host team eventually came out and they straight away questioned the legality of a plaster cast on René van der Kokoff's wrist. Right. So they would not play until the referee inspected this plaster cast. So this is all happening on yeah. the side of the World Cup final. So I mean, none of this kind of procession or TV, you know, dictating when kickoff happens or the rest of it. So, as in, it's either very good mind games or it's effectively cheating. But also, if you're going to query the plaster cast, Surely you you query why a man called Van Kokoff has a cast on his wrist. That's all I'm saying. Surely you ask the why, not the not about the cast. You say, hold on, let's dig a little deeper into that. But Kokoff's broken his wrist. Like, Nobody Rene, asked. what are you do in your own time? But you're not wearing that. <laughs> so carry on. So anyway, interestingly, the referee ended up giving in and instructed Rene, let's call him, sure, to uh, have it replaced before the game could kick off. Well, that's dangerous. Like, how can you replace a cast? Crazy, like, I think I think he was asked to put um, a, a, a soft bandage over right, it. Right, okay. Is what actually happened. But 
all this led to a drama, a yeah. fully partisan crowd that were going nuts by this point. And the Dutch team or players said later in later years that that was a real impact on yeah. at their mindset for the game. I'm not like, surprised. So, yeah. you know, like you said, Argentina got it right. But the Holland, the staff and the team were so wound up about it mm. still at the end of the game. They literally walked off the pitch, <laughs> didn't get their losers, wow. just walked off, didn't stand around to let, um, you know, watch Passarela yeah. lift the cup. With that, we'll go to a very quick aftermath. Well, you have just witnessed 90 of the most gripping minutes of European football you will ever, ever see. But the good news is there's more to come. Okay, not much to kind of pick up at the end of this game because it all pretty much happened, really. The Netherlands, as I said, didn't uh, take part in the post-match ceremony. It was a very acrimonious end to a World Cup yeah. where a nation celebrated, but no one else did. It was it was a bit kind of like, yeah, Which I guess, I guess they could care less about. I'm sure for them it was like, we ke- we got what yeah. we came to get. Well, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'll get to that a little bit in a second, but Argentina, there's two, two schools of thought in Argentina. Yeah. One that this World Cup win was tainted mm-hmm. by the surrounding political mess and everything that was going on that disappeared, all that kind of stuff that's come out since. Other people, and it is very divisive in, right. in the country, other people kind of see it as, and this is what Minotti said, was this was for the people regardless of the regime. Mm, interesting. Uh, and, you know, you're not, you, you can't take that away yeah. from because a lot of people supported it, people played in ignorance of what yeah, was going sure. on. Yeah. So why should it be taken away from yeah. us? in you know late years obviously you have to sidestep the whole match fixing thing if if that's yeah. to be believed but it's strange isn't it because obviously this argentine team had quality like mario campos yeah, was, a, yeah. was a great player daniel passarella was a great player like yeah. they clearly had enough ardiles ricky villa yeah, yeah yeah they they had enough then at least to challenge whether they would have gone yeah. through but yeah. it is interesting isn't it because like you say it's not as clear-cut or black and white as saying well they just cheated their way to victory yeah they still had to put the ball in the back of the net and they still yeah. created chances they were still a good team maybe yeah. they just weren't a great team well i, I really think ozzy ardelis he says that actually what that team had to overcome to win the world cup yeah. like they should they should be respected more well it's interesting isn't it because we've spoken about it with mussolini with the italian team yeah um but you mentioned it in your report earlier like these guys are playing under death threats like yeah. that's that's not the kind of pressure that brings the best out of players, is it? No, this, no, it's no. not like this is the world stage. Everyone's looking at you. You can, you know, be the next Cristiano Ronaldo or whatever. Yeah. It's like no, you're playing for your lives and the yeah. lives of your family. So yeah, in that sense, it's got a strong argument for the the pressure those players have to yeah, be under. Absolutely, Ardiles, Ricky Villa, they all said uh, similar things. Um, Leopoldo, Luque, who I mentioned earlier, um, now has said that he believes the tournament shouldn't have been played. Uh, so he's more in the yeah. that, that that kind of thing. Um, the the junta stayed in power for five more years, estimating that, like I said earlier, a total of thirty thousand people were killed as part of the disappeared seven year reign. Ricky Villa said there is no doubt that we were used politically uh, by the junta throughout that period. Um, who became the player most vocal in his regret? Right. Our also joined in that and uh, stated their ignorance as a team in knowing that all this kind of noise was going on yeah. at the time. They were just trying to win football matches. Was there? Mm-hmm. Uh, view Alberto Tarantini made his own statement. Argentinian defender made his own statement by shaking Videla, who was the head of the junta, shaking Videla's hand and then stating afterwards it was the one he'd just used to wash his genitals. <laughs> to be fair, you take what you can get when you're trying to protest Absolutely. a military regime. So good on him. And with Alberto's little parting shot, I think we will end the 1978 World Cup right there. 
Great report, Addy. A lot to fit in there, so thanks for, thanks for doing that. Uh, my one addendum to uh, everything you've just said is that we uh, mentioned last week we'd look at why Youngblood of the Netherlands oh, yeah. would wear number eight. So I've been doing that as you were giving your report. So it's simply down. I couldn't find an exact reason, but it seems like it was basically alphabetical. So Johan Cruyff was supposed to wear number one. Oh, no way. I don't, I'm guessing that's alphabetical, He's but 14, I don't know. Right? Exactly, because yeah. that was his iconic number, right, one of the okay. first footballers to kind of have a a brand as such right. um, so because he was allowed 14 but yeah Youngblood was just 8 because he was the second choice goalkeeper as well interestingly yeah, enough no he got put in just before the tournament I was skimming the article so I don't have all right, the yeah, but yeah. interestingly enough that's why he was number 8 and right. Young so not was supposed football. to be number 1 well in a way I guess it's just um, pragmatic isn't it yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. okay right alphabetically there you go rather <laughs> than Edgar Davids being player manager at Barnet and giving himself number 1 <laughs> absolutely <laughs> lad uh, so on that note uh, thanks for joining us for episode 50 of the final countdown more World Cup finals to come uh please do leave a review. If you want to leave a review with a game you'd like to see, we'll do our best to have it covered. Uh, And with that, join us next week for the 1982 World Cup Final. 